about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I'm starting a new series of I essentially would call it an audio essay or like an audio novella. Yeah, it's probably an audio novella. And this is chapter one. And it is an idea that really came through electrically um, on the plane ride to Mexico and on the plane ride home. I just went to Mexico with a group of friends to celebrate my 30th birthday and call in this decade of my life. And this really huge wave moved through me of a vision for this audio novella, not to mention that my new time Lord, um, in terms of annual perfections is the planet Mercury. And this is a really, you know, this audio novella is based on an experience that was really defining, um, like core defining thing in my life. And it's not something that I've really shared in much detail with you all um, because it has simply been too painful. Um, And I've had a lot of space to get distance from it and then actually feel the excitement of leaning into the full fire of my life, my rawness, the truth in me that I'm a little bit of a public diaryist, like Anais Nin, that even though there's a part of me that resists this type of rawness or intimacy, there's another part of me that feels deeply called to it. And there was something in me that just clicked in saying yes to the call. And I also feel like this story is really beautiful and profound and that I'm not going to go to my deathbed essentially without telling this one. It has that type of pull or hold over me. And I've known, you know, that trope for a long time of like writers that, you know, they're like tortured by their craft or like they're tortured by their art until they give birth to it. You know, various kinds of artists may have that experience. And yeah, I've wrestled with this one for years in so many different iterations um, at points where it was like fucking obnoxious. Like, why? Like, why? Why? You know, like that. So um, today I got a notebook and I started storyboarding it and just decided that I'm going to share um, chapters as I go. I'm excited about this as an artistic format, too, because I didn't Um, It just felt really right to make it an audio novella and share it here. So with that, I will um, share with you what I recorded just now. Introducing a new story told in chapters called Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. A few words before we start. I believe in retrospect that my 20s granted me multiple shattering experiences that were ultimately connected to my life purpose. Perhaps the expansion of my nervous system, perhaps the unraveling of aspects of myself and karmic patterning that needed to die. I'm grateful for the magical life that I've had. And it's also true that my 20s devastated me. 
For a while, I kept this story to myself and friends, even though I'd had the intuition for years that I needed to share it, that it wasn't just mine. But after Saturn return, it's finally ripened, and I have the architecture and capacity to hold this when for years I didn't. This one is a story of tragic love and everything I learned. It is on the one hand, unbelievable, and also from my experience seeing clients and speaking with people about really deep stuff in their lives, I know that this story is plenty relatable. And there's aspects of it that I feel like I've learned some things that were really mysterious and really kind of things that I was able to receive initiations and have to go through these really dark passageways before finding clarity or before finding the wisdom. And these are things that I felt could have destroyed me, but didn't. And I think that they were there for me for my purpose and whatnot. And I hope that sharing this can be clarifying for anyone who's had similar experiences or is exploring the mystery of Eros, the most profound aliveness and the way that that courses through us. This is an autobiographical essay or story told in chapters. It contains explicit content and triggering content, and it is not suitable for listening while children are around. The names of people have been altered with some details obscured for privacy. Christopher Renstrom in the Cosmic Calendar writes about Pisces, Venus, and Aries Sun in combination as... You have a hard time keeping partners. Something always comes up to spirit them away, like a lover from the past, unforeseen complications, or bad timing. This doesn't mean your love life is star-crossed. You just have to work harder than most. Love doesn't come easy, but when it does, it will prove worth the struggle. From Austin Coppock's 36 Faces, about the third decan of Scorpio, where my Pluto is. This is ultimately a face of wrestling with one's own desire nature, for it leads one inevitably back to confrontation with the nature of desire itself. It is the property of no one else. The floating cloud of fantasies must be recognized as wholly one's own. The formula by which this is accomplished is the separation of desire from all external objects of lust. It is a matter of the transformation of a desire rather than its immediate gratification and sense objects. Desire, denied its objects, rebels and tries to dominate the person in which it resides, resulting in the type of unbalanced pleasure seeking described by Agrippa and pictured in the Picatrix. But this debauchery is not the proper formula for this face but a rebellion against it. The process truly described as the disillusion or putrefaction of desires back into their raw, unstructured form, their prima materia, the succubus wears crow wings, the corvus of the negrito. 
This phase can thus be used to return unfulfilled attachments and desires to their beginning. We bury the corpse of past loves and wait for the flowers to grow from their graves. But such disillusions take time. And the ghosts of desire which haunt this face are real. They are projections of our energy. Split off into quasi-autonomous phantoms. These projections have the capacity to obsess like that of succubi or incubi. When the desire's hungry ghosts have finally been laid to rest, the compost is complete and a rich loam results. In the grave soil of yesterday's love, anything can grow. This face is thus a formula of liberation, for if we were not capable of laying our desires to rest, returning them to pure energy, we would be enchanged forever, prisoners of what we once held dear. Chapter 1 I was 23 and I had just exited a tumultuous relationship where, for a span of months, I had abandoned myself. I'd stopped wanting to have sex with this person, but I wasn't ready to give up the relationship or my attachment. To be honest about the death of my desire for him, while he still wanted sex every day, would have been a domino effect I wasn't willing to take responsibility for. Not knowing that there would be consequences to this, I just had sex with him anyway. After months of this, my entire womb, cunt, pelvis, ached profoundly, all of the time. At night, I'd try to hold myself back to wholeness, touch myself, apologize to myself, come back home. One night, I sat with the fear that he would literally murder me, a kind of fear that was similar to feeling like I was going to die for sharing my voice on the internet. At this time in my life, I was routinely dealing with core level fears that didn't make sense and alchemizing them. So in this space, I realized with my eyes closed that I was only beginning to value my own life more. And that is why I feared death. And I saw a brilliant blue light. I realized that I'd gone into debt in this relationship, stacking up charges on an emotional credit card. A new tenderness opened up for myself as I loved myself here, in this fallen kind of place. But I still wanted to heal my aching, and I had this sublime sense that it was meant to be healed with a lover, since I had not yet figured out how to heal it by myself. I had a new lover at the time, a relationship that was already healing in many ways. He was polyamorous, and I was again trying it out. It had been a pattern of mine to get involved with poly kinds of men, so I wondered if it was me too and it was a part of my identity reaching me from the external environment. I asked my lover to come through for a desire I had, something I didn't really give him much detail about, but he was busy. He was going to come over one night but canceled last minute, and I felt the tension of what I was holding bubbling up to a boil. The pang of rejection I felt was not equivalent to the logic of the situation. It was primal and guttural. I paced my room, feeling distinctly connected to my fifth house, Chiron, in Leo, feeling as though I was wearing a lion pelt over my shoulders. I didn't care to disarm myself here or become less guarded. I only wanted 
to feel powerful, I decided I needed a different lover. Shortly after one day, I was sitting cross-legged in my bedroom after doing kundalini yoga. I made a prayer for a lover to heal this trauma with, this aching, this physical pain, coming back home. I felt my crown open up and a beam of light from my crown go straight up to the sky. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, and I felt instantly as though my wish would come true. But who? I felt I was going to proposition someone directly. It was winter, close to Christmas. Neptune was conjunct my Mars. Uranus was transiting exactly conjunct my sun. And I had taken a photograph of myself holding a pen in my mouth, arms behind my head, showing my armpit hair in red light, feeling electric with creativity and vibrant in myself. I'd begun adding people who lived in my small town on Facebook, even if I hadn't met them before. People were adding me back and tuning into my work. I was actively intending to become known, both in the community and the world at large. It was working. People would come up to me at gatherings and say, you're Sabrina Monarch, face as bright as the moon. Your forecast really impacted me. A few days before I'd made this wish for a lover, I'd been to my friend's Christmas party. I was sitting on the couch inside of the front door when a man entered who I immediately recognized from Facebook as one of the people I'd added and who had friended me back. He sat next to me and we knew who each other were. I found out his real name after calling him by the one I'd known online and he told me his name was actually Aiden and that he didn't want his clients to find him online. What do you do? I asked. I'm a body worker, massage therapist. Why don't you want your clients finding you online? I asked, genuinely curious, as I was personally very available for being found and discovered. Then I retracted when I saw his reaction and said, I'm sorry to ask you such a personal question. He shrunk back. Maybe I like personal questions. And then the flow of the party separated us. After I made the wish for a lover and felt my crown open up and a beam of light go straight up to the sky, I scanned my inner world for who this lover might be, if I'd met him yet, and Aiden came to mind. I was decided on pursuing him, but before I had the chance to reach out, he had messaged me inviting me to a New Year's party. I arrived at a small house in the woods. It was a small dance party, a sound system, an open space. A friend of Aiden's encouraged me to suggest a song. I'm not really a dancer, I think. I'm a terrible DJ, I think. I have nothing to share. But I refused to display this insecurity and I rally thinking of a song. I dance with Aiden. He is a great lead and has a way of inviting my dance out of me. And my desire to impress him, my desire to be with him brings my dance out of me. It's like we were flying, and at the same time, I was self-conscious about the lyrics of our very first dance from Crave You by Flight Faculties, which goes, Why can't you want me like the other boys do? They stare at me while I stare at you. Why can't I keep you safe as my own? One moment I have you, the next you're gone. 
Rehearsed steps on an empty stage, that boy's got my heart in a silver cage. Why can't you want me like the other boys do? They stare at me while I crave you. I walked into the room dripping in gold. Yeah, dripping in gold. I walked into the room dripping in gold, dripping in gold. A wave of heads did turn or so I've been told, or so I've been told. My heart broke when I saw you kept your gaze controlled. I cannot solve. Why can't you want me like the other boys do? They stare at me while I stare at you. Why can't I keep you safe as my own? One moment I have you, the next you're gone. We hug goodbye. His touch is entirely disarming. He massages my back, shoulders, collarbone. I melt and say it feels so good. Have you had a massage before? He asks, of course. How about a New Year's kiss? He asks. We kiss gently. I don't show him yet my full desire. He asked me if I'd like to meet that night on the dream plane. I don't take it super seriously, and I say sure. He asks where we should meet, and I offer up a cliff by the beach. In my dream that night, we're already having sex, unprotected. I come to and say, wait, we haven't talked about this. He seems disoriented, distant. I text him the next day that it was nice meeting him and I'd love to hang out sometime. He responds with a lot of emojis and enthusiasm like, sure, and talks about being busy snowboarding. I dream of him again in a vast night world we're standing on a platform that is not altogether sturdy. Then he is gone, lost in the landscape. An omniscient woman on a loudspeaker asks me, are you sure you want him? He's 10 miles away. I saw my lover again and told him about Aiden. He knows of him and likes him, saying, isn't it nice to like the taste of those you taste? I stop at a gas station on the way home to compose a bolt of lightning that is moving through me. I say, Aiden, I truthfully desire you with a passion that I am moved by. I feel compelled to say that if you desire me, then I wish to meet you at that crossing. It takes four or so days to hear back from him. I stay busy, refusing to collapse into my insecurity or living in a deflated state in reference to him. Every day is a quest for full, radical aliveness while I wait. I'm doing astrological research, interviewing people about themselves while looking at their natal charts. I did more than a hundred of them. At this point, it becomes relieving to portal with other people. I'm speaking to a woman who is hype about my work and who I think is fabulous as well. We were only just becoming acquainted through this interview. Through the end of the call, when she's offering me that I can stay at her house if I'm ever passing through Sonoma, I see a text come through on my computer from Aiden, where I'm gazing at her chart. I can only see a little preview of the text that looks promising, and from a place of integrity, I'm not willing to open the text, and I want to stay present with this woman. But involuntarily, the floodgates open, my pussy drops, and I'm soaked. I feel it happen, and I've never had anything like that happen before. 
The text says something tactful about appreciating my desire and that he'd love for our desires to meet, but he explains how busy he is. In the meantime, I go to a ritual weekend with my lover and his community. I'd texted Aiden before the gathering to ask if he'd like to come over for dinner and was awaiting again a response. When I got to the event, one man was striking to me. His curly hair, his uprightness, his vest. He seemed to me like an archetypal best man at a wedding. He approached me later to tell me my eye contact and attention on him was striking, that he was curious about me. In my world, being adored or being desired only felt correct. I felt at home. Later, I asked him to get into the shower with me. In the water, he was passionate, and then I felt him seem conflicted and distant. I was aware that he'd just gotten out of a relationship that was veering close to marriage. We stopped. At the end of the event, a woman was handing out pears. I bit into mine like an apple, holding it up in my hand, wrist extended back. The archetypal best man at the wedding I'd showered with approached me to apologize for pulling away from me and potentially hurting me. I said it was okay and truly meant it. At the very moment that his eyes water, the pear releases a stream of juice down my wrist, down my sleeve, and the whole moment plumps out in my vision. The background turns into a salted watercolor, every cell, every molecule bursting with life, flowers and bloom, trumpets. I checked my phone now that the event was over and Aiden had accepted my invitation. We had a date. When I got home, I dreamt that a panther pounced on me head on and ate me. I woke up, vibrating above my bed, seeing my bedroom as it was in grayscale. I was slammed back into the same dream, but now the panther was gone and I was free to walk into an amphitheater, red velvet seats and curtains. One of the leaders from the event is on stage, telling me I've graduated. There is applause. I exit the amphitheater and the panther comes up from a side corridor and pounces me again. But this time without thinking, I grab the panther by the scruff of their neck and say, what are you doing? We're friends now. 